to Arsenal, we'll go to Arsenal. I'm so sorry. That's my dad telling me we're going to Arsenal on Sunday. Are we actually? No, we're keeping this. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Are we going to Tottenham? (laughs) We successful. Swear. So sorry. My dad has fully interrupted this whole thing. Nah, that's big news. Cam, check. I I don't know if I don't know if he's joking. Who else is going? going. Do we? Yeah. This is so professional, but. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Run of Play podcast. Unlucky for some, but not for us. This is a fresh take on football with no filter, no sensor and no suits. Alongside Elliot, Cam, Abby and myself tonight is Hannah Baptiste. Uh, Hannah is a football coach and a motivational speaker who plays for the Guyanese women's national team, also known as the Lady Jags, and has spoken out recently in support of young players and what we can all do to support our own mental health. Hope you enjoy. Hannah, welcome to the Run of Play podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we've been watching your videos with a lot of interest and uh, your passionate pieces on, on mental health awareness, which, again, is something we're talking about a lot in, in the present times. We had a previous podcast, we talked about it as well. Um, but the first question I just wanted to ask you is what it was that kind of drove you to speak so passionately um, about this subject? I think, like, over the years, I've obviously I've experienced, like, my own mental health playing football in so many different environments, playing all over the world. And so I've had to kind of deal with that by myself. And, like, I've never had anyone to kind of speak to about it or just be real. And I think a couple of weeks ago, um, I don't know if you guys heard about uh, Jeremy Whiston, um ending his life, um, obviously, because he he was dropped from the Man City team and then he was injured and that kind of spiralled into a situation of depression. And, and, and yeah, so that kind of really got to me, like it, it really broke my heart, to be honest, because I've seen so many young people lose their lives because no one wants to speak out and talk about just the importance of, of sports and mental health and just how how much actually goes on behind the lines like because everyone only sees obviously what's on to social media what's in the news that type of stuff and no one actually sees the background side of it and what we actually go through mentally as athletes and so yeah it really broke my heart and I just I could relate to some of the feelings that I can imagine he went through and um yeah so that kind of made me want to kind of speak out and do something about it because I just it got to it gets to a point where you see so much things going on in the world and and you get to a point where you're like, I can't sit back and just continue to watch this when I know I've been through it. And there's other people in the world that are probably going through it as well. And and they want to be able to relate to someone or have someone that they can speak to about it. And so that's kind of why I put the video out. Cause I just, and then yeah, I put out a few more after that. Just, yeah, it just really broke my heart seeing that. And I think over the years I've seen other friends commit suicide for various reasons and I yeah it's 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 sad man honestly it's it's heartbreaking so I think it's been in my heart for a while and I think I got to a stage where I was like okay Han, like you can't just keep silent you've got to do something about it yeah, yeah. I mean it's so admirable it's so admirable for someone in the same position seeing other people in the similar position and wanting to do something so um I suppose thank you for that um 
and we're definitely going to come back and touch more on on the stuff that you you're doing and the, and the kind of videos you're putting out but before we talk a bit more about yourself um i guess when when we spoke about a couple of weeks ago we yeah we chatted a couple of weeks ago and since then there's been so many things that have happened in the world and unfortunately not all of them have been positive um firstly obviously the the really really sad passing of, of diego maradona at age 60. now i'm sure None of us are old enough to have witnessed kind of the man at the peak of his powers, but I suppose it speaks volumes about how much of a legend he was or or is um, that even we can feel the sadness of losing the man. So I suppose when you look at the outpouring of condolences from all the different teams across the world, you can really see how much he loved the game and how much the game loved him. But I guess the question I want to ask is the word goat is thrown around a lot these days, but is he the definitive one i think he's oh. definitely up there i would say he's up there i'm not going to say the definitive <laughs> one but i think everyone has their own goats that they look up to and and and, and can appreciate mm. and i think for some people it is his goat and for other people it's not he is mm. definitely up there like he's yeah he yeah it's an interesting one like when you you touch on it there because I know that that's been banded around a lot, like, oh, who's, you know, who's the GOAT? Is it Maradona? And I think one of the biggest things I took away from when he passed away last week was the fact that I haven't seen a single thing about stats or goals or assists or... Um, it's, it's You see the highlight videos, of course, of, like, the best goals he scores, but it's not one of those where his, his stats are being compared. And it is more about the sort of, like, impact he had, not just, like, footballing impact, but, like, cultural impact as well. Um, I was in the office with... Uh, Martino from work who's a guy who works for Copper 90 and he found out the news um, and he just started crying like right in front of me and I, I you know I, I'm too sort of young to ever sort of like remember Maradona I've only seen the highlights and stuff but if you do look at especially in Argentina the effect he had there the fact they're in a you know they're in a three day mourning period and stuff the the way what he sort of represented for that country at the time as well when you know Argentina as a, as a nation wasn't in a very good place Um it's it's mad that I think like someone of his impact can die and no stats, none of that gets banded about because it wasn't about that for him. It was like you look beyond that, and you know he obviously he had faults as well, like everyone does, and they were highlighted, you know, as much as the great things he did. But yeah, I I was I was sort of a bit unaware, maybe a little bit ignorant to like how big a deal he was and how revered he was in uh, in Naples and in Argentina because like seeing those videos of like you know people going to um, up to his like uh, coffin or whatever and people go like gathering around the stadiums and stuff it's it's the only thing I can sort of think of is like 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 someone like a member of the royal family dying in a country or something where it's like that level of shock and sadness for everyone and I guess there he he was almost royal he was he is royalty yeah, he, he is was, Argentinian yeah. royalty to them right no for sure he is I think because like, I my background is from South America. My, my, obviously, I'm Guyanese, and and so yeah. like when you have someone like that that makes such an impact in the world and um, in a country like that's I don't want to say insignificant because that's not the case, but like just yeah. almost to, we like obviously we're in England, US. You know, they're prominent countries that everyone knows and talks about, but Argentina's not so much. So to, for them. He was what kind of brought Argentina forward and brought them to the forefront. And I think, yeah, like me being from Guyana, like, yeah, we don't have a lot of people that can do that for us as well. So I think, yeah, yeah. it makes it makes sense in my head why he's he is almost royalty to them because they don't mm. have that. And he, yeah, he brought that for them. 
unfortunately we 100%. have the English media who basically just slander him for the for the World Cup where he, you know the hand of God and stuff but then yeah. very easily there's also get. part of me that loves how little of a fuck he gives about that as yeah. well like when he gets asked <laughs> and they're like it's like did you do it he's like yeah so would you do it again it's like 100% yeah. and it's like I, I kind of respect it like you'd want that you'd want that in your team wouldn't you can you imagine how gassed everyone would have been if Lineker had done that at the other end it would have just been like exactly yeah, but... <laughs> well, it's something that like a Gaza would do isn't it but yeah. it's, it's it's yeah he's such a a character on and off the field I think and I was watching some of the some of the documentaries and um, on on BBC they had like the 86 World Cup uh, documentary um, and you just yeah just the, the aura that he had and just the way that he was just adored by by Argentina fans and then obviously in in Naples as well where it's just been it's just been amazing to see sort of the the reactions and and the the tributes that have been paid to him across across all the football the other sort of uh story or uh talking point that's been uh been recently and only just aired uh last night was the the Anton Ferdinand documentary um about his um, the incident that happened nine years ago, uh, being racially abused by by John Terry, um, and if you haven't seen the documentary, definitely go give it a watch on on iPlayer um, because I think you know some of us might not have really realised the full situation when when it first happened, uh, and I think there's a different sort of light shining on it now. But watching that back now and seeing the way that Anton was treated and as an offender rather than a victim, and you know what are our opinions on that event now and if it did happen now how would it be different and yeah. do we think it's it would be different this time around it's it's such uh, yeah i mean give it give it a watch but it's such a hard one even in the documentary that you know i think it was troy townsend who was saying we, i don't even know how um how how the reactions would be different now until it until it unfortunately would happen um but i mean having watched it it is it is so brave because essentially he's basically disappointed and guilty in himself that he didn't say anything earlier and to 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 bring all that back and to to go back to that event that essentially in his and people's minds has passed maybe not his mind but definitely like the public and bring that to the forefront again is so brave because you can imagine i mean we've talked before about the perils of social media you can imagine all of the abuse that he's going to get coming into this now and and um yeah I, to the question, do I think it would be different? Like Troy said, I I don't know. I hope it would be in the current kind of, I suppose, climate, the way that people are thinking now a bit more progressively. But yeah, God, don't know. I don't know either. I think it's, as we said just before we came on the podcast, like it's sadly, like it's probably still dependent on who it is. Like I think a massive part of that story at the time was the fact it was, it was John Terry, you know, the guy at, Stamford Bridge where there was a Captain Lee the legend banner up when he was the captain of England like it was almost it's it's so shit but the fact that he was such a good player made people more willing to brush it under the carpet and it's the same it's the same as Suarez you know when he was at when he was at Liverpool it's like that idea where it's like had that been John Flanagan Liverpool fan maybe not John Flanagan because he was like (laughs) from Liverpool but if it had been a player like that who wasn't so revered who wasn't so brilliant even like generational in terms of the way they played the game people would just grill them for it in the way that they should. But because it was John Terry, even like from, like you said, from the media, every aspect of that, it was like, oh, well, we're going to give him way more benefit of the doubt than anyone ever deserves because 
it's John Terry. And it's like, what's what place are you at where you're deciding someone's punishment for racism based on how good they are at kicking a football around? It's um, it's an interesting one. Like, I think, I know, obviously, Abby, you helped us get um, Troy on the podcast before and like some of the stuff he said. But yeah, he's he's getting grilled today by the FA and it's just... Yeah, it's just deflection tactic, and it's um, it's pretty obvious, really. But I think if it happened today, it would still depend on, on who that player is for, which is yeah, sadly the case in my opinion. I'm glad, um, obviously that you've brought Troy up because, as you said, he he is a friend of the podcast, and BFA's response to the documentary saying there are serious inaccuracies, um, is the way he's made to feel within his job, and you can't. I think you tweeted something earlier, Liam, um, regarding that, and Troy replied to you about you can't, you know, tell someone the way they feel. You can't comment on someone yeah. else's feelings. Um, you know, it's just very lazy and very transparent from the FA, and it just shows you and nails down the issues still going on within the FA. I mean, we only saw it a few weeks ago with Greg Clark and, all, you know, how that unraveled and, and not too well. Um, and then today we've seen John Terry linked with the Derby job in an attempt, is that by the media to, you know, try and take the heat off the Anton Ferdinand situation from last night's documentary? What, what do you make of all that, Hannah? Do you think that, you know, should even John Terry be considered as a manager or with his background? It's, it's, it's a sticky one because obviously yes. he's got the background in football, which I think would give him the qualifications to be, be a good manager. But then I think, you know, it's all about equality and, and like you said, being progressive. And he's got this shadow over him of what he's done previously. And I, I think that's always going to be an issue regardless of whether his views and opinions have changed now, you know, like even if he has um, black players, for example, playing for him, like it, it can always be yeah. a problem and it can always come up as an issue if they're not getting enough playing time, if, you know, and so it's it's just an issue after an issue that will come up if he um, does become a manager. So don't, I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a good shout, honestly. It's, nice. it's such a weird one there when you talk about that as well, because it's like, that's so true. There's this massive idea of like, oh, John Terry said all that. And it's like, regardless of where he is now, like, I know you can't know because you can only see what people do like externally, but like just the thought that there's probably a good chance that he still thinks that, right? Even if he's better trained now to not say it, it's like, that's the hardest bit. And I think what touching on Troy Townsend there of the FA, he, so he basically came out and said, you know, as the main guy at Kick It Out, he said, I'm, I feel um, scared almost to call out racism where I see it or where I feel it lies because of the superiors, people who fund Kick It Out and the work they do, if that's directed at them or it's directed at people they don't want it directed at, they'll either slash the funding or, you know, like that's what he was saying. He was worried about that's what he feels would happen. The FA then go, oh, you can't feel like that. That's inaccurate. And it's like, you can't tell someone how to feel. And it's in the same way it ties back to John Terry. It's like, if he feels that way, if he's said what he said in the past, yes, he might bite his lip for the ne for the rest of his career, but you don't want him in charge still. Like, I'm like, I'm he's he was literally one of the greatest defenders Premier League's ever seen but like I think with everything going on it's actually gonna segue into the next point I'm gonna make but like you've just got to realize that despite how much we all love football the fact we're on a podcast about football the fact you you know play football at a high level surely some things are just a bit deeper than that and it's like regardless in any job if you had someone who was a brilliant account manager at a media agency and they were racist but they made you loads of money you wouldn't keep them you wouldn't do you know what I mean it's it's the same point, I think. Yeah, <laughs> what I wanted to go on to was um, a point slightly diverting away, but with what happened um, to Raul Jimenez at the weekend, just to keep piling on the bad news, <laughs> the bad stories. Um, he obviously had that terrible head injury. I think he's 
I think they've said he's okay now. He's like stable, yeah. like whatever, which is great. But um, the fact that you know we're talking about the idea of like a concussion sub potentially, and like, oh, is that a good thing? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, but does that give them an advantage? And it's like, no, it doesn't give them an advantage because the rest of the team are running around the pitch thinking, fucking hell, I hope my teammate doesn't die. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like it's <laughs> it's such a stupid like argument. And I think surely this week has just helped highlight that a lot of things are just a bit more important. And it's like. What's what do you want? Do you want him to play on, or do you want David Luiz to play on? And then it it gets revealed like tonight, for example, or like tomorrow, or whatever, that he's you know suffering from concussion or something worse. And it's like I don't know what you guys think, but I just think for me that concussion sub is an absolute no brainer. No pun intended. Should have been, should have been Not, excuse the pun. Yeah. I mean no brainer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> should have been brought in a long time ago, I think, and you know follow on from what rugby have actually been doing in that in that field as well, and. You know, you have blood substitutions or you have, you know, it's it's not a substitution that's helping you tactically, is it? It's, you know, your first team player is coming off for a, a non-first team player. It's still harming you, really, if you think about it logically. But, um, but yeah, it's 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 got to happen. And, you know, the fact that I think everyone on, on social and talking about the game was just in shock that David Luiz was allowed to even continue because it just made absolutely no sense. He's, he's obviously got a form of concussion because that is what concussion is you know you hit your your head too hard you get concussion even if it's minor or 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 major concussion so he had to go off and there has to be a change in the rule and take the pressure off managers where they don't have to oh well we do sort of need him so let's see if he's okay and if he says he's okay fine it should just be taken out of their hands sorry no but you don't lose a sub so don't worry like you can still make three other subs but yeah I think it also um, takes pressure off of the medical staff because I think that, that, you know, medical teams across all, you know, walks of football have a really stressful job. You know, and we, I think we actually saw it in the Spurs documentary with uh, with with one of the medical team going and telling Josie about his, you know, injury woes and <laughs> Josie not being too happy. And, you know, I think that when you get something that is so severe, like a concussion or something like that, and all the information and all the research you're doing into links with dementia from heading the ball and things like that, you don't need to put any more stress on that medical team or on that player. It's not worth risking your life with it. It is fundamentally, look, we all love football, but it is just a game of football at the end of the day. And if you've got concussion, you've got to come off the pitch, even if it's a suspected thing. And um, I was listening on the radio a few weeks ago when they were talking about this, first of all, and they were saying that, you know, it can take up to half an hour for it to develop. Um, even signs of concussion, you know, let alone an hour, two hours. So, you know, to let someone play on within five minutes of the incident occurring, it just, you know, long-term effects, the damage it could do, it's just not worth yeah, it. I think just going on, off, going off what you've just said on the long-term effects is like, um, in the US, obviously, like a lot of American football players have come, with, come up with CTE, which basically, like, they've had so many hits to the brain that they literally have, like, a mental disorder where they're just constantly depressed and then it can lead to a lot of them it led to suicide and so I think it's so important that we actually take we don't I don't think personally we take little things like concussion seriously and I think we need to start taking it more seriously and putting rules in place to actually support that because yeah it is life-changing life-altering like Abby was saying like it can have crazy impacts and we need to start you know start enforcing more rules to kind of better i think with that yeah i think they like they i've read a guardian guardian article the other day 
Um, and it was saying that they reckon up to 20 headers in a game for a footballer, um, which, you know, if you're if you're a team that's on the back foot, if you're Tyrone Mings, for example, right, and you're playing for Villa, like, you're headering the ball at least 20 times in a game. And they said that is, like, that's equal to a form of concussion in terms of what it does to you. You think, right, he's doing that 60 times a season. He's doing that for 20 years. I think heading will be one of those things in... 25 years that people will look back on and they'll sort of scoff like what no one thought that would be a problem people just smashing a ball against their head every game I think it'll be one of those things that everyone will be like it'll look it'll look back and it'll be like like smoking you know and just be like that is stupid and it's like why did people do that for their whole career mm-hmm. and I think yeah more and more stuff's starting to come out but like you touched on Hannah like the the effects that that has after football can just be like so damaging for players there was the um the Alan Shearer documentary wasn't there a little while back about the impact it's had on some of the you know 1966 World Cup winners yeah. uh, in England and you know I know the ball was very different there and football was very different then but um, you know the, those impacts are real and they're this you know they're scientifically proven so it just seems nuts that we're you know we're we're ignoring them and and continuing but even if it's you know not <laughs> banning heading or it's literally just simple things like oh a player's been knocked out or or potentially knocked out we should probably sub them off that's what I was, that's what I was going to say about um you know when you saw it on match of the day when they show well first of all the fact that they showed and that I, I don't know if you were watching it but you literally hear the crack of Jimenez's skull yeah. and I was like oh that can't be good and then you're like well, why are they showing that oh okay and then you see David Luiz all grog and literally you can see his face is like gray he's got bags under his eyes and you're like come on guys <laughs> you just sent him yeah. back on out to the field and you knew at that point that they were going to talk about it in the studio. <laughs> and um, yeah, Alan Shearer was making some really good points. Like, why are we... They're saying they're going to trial it next season. Why are we trialling that? Just bring it in now, for God's sake. You're going to save lives if you do it now. Just do it from next weekend. What's stopping you? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I mean, we're all obviously really glad that um, Raul Jimenez is, is okay. Um but trying to to look forward to the future with a bit of positivity. Um, do you so support it was half an hour of just bleak news, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Sorry <laughs> for our listeners. We're not, we're not yeah. usually such a depressing podcast. I swear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so moving on to some more about you, Hannah. So we mentioned um, in your intro uh, your footballing career and the fact that you play for the Guyanese uh, women's foot national football team. Um, so what was your journey like to to get there? Actually, so. I mean, the journey in general has been long. So I grew up with three older brothers. So that's kind of how I got into the game. Mm. Um, and I grew, grew to love the game. And then obviously I played in primary school. I was the only girl on on the guys' team, the only girl in the league. And I was top goal scorer. And then from that, I got scouted and was playing for Charlton um, Centre of Excellence, where I played for two years. Then I went to Fulham FC Centre of Excellence for a year. Then I got dropped, actually. So that was... That was a struggle. Um, mm. But yeah, obviously I had to deal with that um, in my own way, which I did. And then went back to Charlton for a year, um, played for England for a season. Um, well, not for a season, for, for a tournament during that time as well, when I was under 16s. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I kept on playing at Charlton for a couple more years. And I went out to the US um, on a football scholarship Um so I went to three different universities out there in three different states, which most people are like, what, what are you doing? What are you playing at? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was an experience to say the least. Um, nice. But yeah, so yeah, it, 
is is it was my football journey has been a journey to say the least. I've mm. been all over the place to be honest. Um, so yeah, it so it was obviously I was in the US playing out there. Um, I was doing my second to last year, and I just I, honestly I hate I was not having fun at all. Like it was probably one of the hardest years of my life. Like, um, and it just got to a stage where I was like. I came home at Christmas and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go back to my parents. My parents were like, no, come on, like, you can do this. And I was like, you know, people asked me, oh, how's your year going? And I couldn't, I couldn't tell them how my year was going without crying about it. And that's when I knew, like, this, this is not me. This is not, the, like, I'm a, quite a happy and joyful person. So for me to not be able to explain something about crying, there's, there's a big problem, like, that's an issue and I can't put myself back in a situation where I'm so unhappy that I can't even speak about it without crying. So I said, I'm not going back. Um, so then I started university here because I had one more year left. Um, and then I started playing for AFC Wimbledon here as well. Um, so, it, but it was during that gap um, where I took, came back from school where I actually got called up for the national team. So it's, it's actually weird how it happened, but um our athletic coordinator, the Guyanese, um, no, sorry, the international coordinator, the Guyanese um, one, basically contacted a girl who plays football in England, who's Guyanese, and she plays for the Guyanese national team. He, like, messaged her and said, oh, do you know this player, Hannah? And, like, a few months prior, I had actually contacted her and was like, oh, I'm just wondering, like, can I play for the Guyanese national team if my granddad is my closest relation to being a Guyanese mm. um, citizen. And yeah. she's like, yeah, yeah, you can. And then it's crazy because he obviously then contacted her to get in contact with me. <laughs> and then that's kind of how <laughs> how that happened. And then it was that summer that we flew out for the World Cup qualifiers, which was in Guyana. Um, so yeah, which we did all right, but we didn't get through to the next round. So that was, that was sad, mm. I can't lie. Um, and yeah, that same year, we, my team actually won the, I don't know if you guys heard of the Neymar Junior Fives tournament. Yeah, yeah. So we actually won that for the UK. So we flew out to Brazil that same sun, summer and um, we nice. played in that as well, which was amazing. Um, so yeah, that was a hectic summer. I also did Camp America that summer. <laughs> so I was literally... <laughs> Non-stop. Didn't come home for Someone awesome. tell me about someone tell me about the Neymar Junior was, Fives. Yeah, I was going to say we did the um, we covered it at work the Neymar Junior Fives tournament. It's basically just loads of people who are better than us at football, um, <laughs> and it's like it was one. It was weird. I don't know what it was like for you, Hannah. When the clips I've seen of it, it does it finds that brilliant like almost futsal in between where it's like you winnings like the there was some of the men's game we watched. I don't know if it was because I watched the game with freestylers in, but it's like scoring is obviously the aim, but it's you've got to do it in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can't just like lump the big man up top, let him nod it down and get the rebounds. It's like, you'd be booted out of Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> no, they definitely make it difficult um, to score for sure. Cause you've got little, little arms. Tiny goals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not even allowed in the, the penalty box. or So yeah, it is, you've got to do a little skill to get it in there, but yeah, it's good fun. Like it's, it's it's a good workout. Hannah, watching some of your videos, um, we've heard you say a lot about you know you're a very positive person and you always deliver such uplifting messages. Um, and you can really tell it comes from your heart, especially with um, regards to um, Jeremy um, topic, especially as you touched on it earlier. Um, if there was a key message you could send to young footballers um, about how to cope with the mental struggles and you know it, all, all the things that come with being a footballer, what what would that message be? I think it's just like 
you are enough. I think we get so caught up in the world and seeing everyone doing amazing things and we see in amazing places and we see our friends, you know, being promoted and and being, you know, shone a light on and that we we start to kind of self-deflect and 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 self-doubt starts to kick in and and all these thoughts and and yeah ideas come into our head and and we forget that we're not defined by those things like this is what I had to realize for myself you're not defined by your playing time you're not defined by what your coach says about you you're not defined by the people around you like I am I can create my own definition at the end of the day football doesn't define me thankfully and you know I've had to grow to love myself and and know that I am enough regardless of what the world says and regardless of what people say and I think it's so important that young people playing football know that you are enough and your sport doesn't define you like there's so many different traits and amazing things about you that you know people do see and 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 so once you start focusing and realizing that that is a reality then 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 you can excel at football and I think it starts with knowing that you're enough and and you're not defined by what your coach says because I think your coach has so much influence on your feelings and the that, that, that would be my dogs I'm sorry <laughs> honestly my my family are really just doing me in tonight I'm moving back home tomorrow when this lockdown finishes blooper reel blooper reel for Abby alone tonight <laughs> I think they go. I think they go for a walk. So yeah. All right, all right. Um, I think like you touched on there, Hannah, when you're talking about it. I think listening to where you speak about that and sort of you know drilling home that message that you can sort of only really find that you know that way of being content within yourself. Um, and I think that's sort of a journey, especially in football. Right? It's like a lot happens at a very young age. It's very turbulent. It's like it can all look like it's going the, the perfect way at one point, and you know one bad performance or a manager coming in, and it literally does like change your life. And I think. Obviously, a lot of that you have to find out yourself, but it's massively important about the people around you as well. So is there, you know, has there been anyone around you that's given you sort of advice that's really stuck with you or someone that was a big influence on you to sort of like help you start looking at things in, in this way? I think my dad, he's my biggest rider. Like he's the one that took me to training every week. He's the one that came to all my games and my mum as well when I was younger. Um, he's supporting me, you know, when I said, you know, before I even went out to the US, he literally, because I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. Um, he sat me down and was like, Han, what do you want to do? And that's when I was like, I want to go out to the US and play. And he's like, all right, let's make it happen. And, you know, within a few weeks, like I was on that journey to, to being, to go in and getting football scholarship playing in the US. And he's just always supported me. You know, I've always heard him on the sidelines, like shouting me down, like just shouting good positive affirmation at me while I'm playing. And I think, you know, it's so important to have people that believe in you as well, people that support you, people that when you're in your low places and you don't feel like you're enough, that tell you you're enough, that tell you, you know, that uplift you and tell you you're good enough. I believe in you. You know, this might not be your best game. This might, might not be your best time in life right now, but, you know, just you're going to overcome it and things are going to get better. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think my dad has always, he's always had my back with that, regardless of, where I'm at and how things are going because things haven't always gone smoothly for me but he's always supported me and you know he's been my biggest cheerleader through everything and I think without him I don't know how far I could have made it and so yeah he like I'm so grateful for him honestly he yeah I yeah love him to bits and and he he speaks a lot about just self-empowerment he loves to to, to just speak he's a he's actually a college um 
teacher and he loves to like he's he's loves with the students tell them that they're enough and like so i just yeah. think i get all of that from him and yeah i'm i'm really grateful for that amazing i think we touched on a few of your 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 highlights before uh in your in your career but is there is there a playing or coaching moment that sort of stands out from the from the crowd as like your favorite and your, your or that you're most proud of um i think it obviously probably is being in Guyana and being part of the World Cup qualifiers, I think that was, yeah, life-changing for me, more for the experience than anything else, just being out there and being a part of it. And and also, obviously, the Neymar tournaments was amazing because, obviously, just being able to go to Brazil and have that opportunity to play over there and yeah. be with different people from different countries, I think they're both just crazy achievements and I'm, I'm so blessed to have been able to kind of be a part of them. Hopefully there'll be more down the road as well. Um, and what are your hopes then for the Guyana team in the near future? What are the ambitions um, moving forward for the team? Um, I think, you know, obviously with COVID, things have just been kind of shut down slightly. So we did have like training camps and that type of stuff um, kind of in in the future. But so that's that I think to just have more training camps because we, we are all scattered around the the world to be honest like our team so it's just being able to come together more more often and actually play together um hopefully qualify for the um what's the next is it the world cup that's next yeah because we're, we're not in the olympics we didn't uh, do the olympics so it has to, yeah just qualify i think it's 2023 the world cup i think or yeah if we could do that that'd be honestly amazing so i think that's that is my hopes for yeah that'd be amazing <laughs> I think just for me, it's just if I ever, well, I've just, it's not even going to happen, is it? Potentially playing for a national team. <laughs> we were talking about comparing ourselves to players and um, like that one player in your life that's like kind of overshadowing you. And mine's definitely Harry Kane because he's like similar age to me and he's just a couple of young, m- months younger than me and he's. He's the captain of England, so yeah. I was going to say, if you, think you're, if you think you've still got a chance at the national team, I, don't, I think we're going to have to let you down quite not, slowly here. That not that I don't... probably what, not going to happen now. I don't even know why I raised it. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you were talking a little bit about it there, Hannah, about um, kind of COVID. Um, and obviously we try and try and avoid the subject as much as possible. Um, but we're, we're, I guess, kind of all lucky enough that our, our jobs are reasonably unaffected um, by lockdown. And that kind of we're able to work from home and stuff. But obviously you see a lot about um, footballers obviously not being able to do that. So it must have been really, really tough when that sort of thing was taken away from you. Yeah, it's been hard because you've, you've kind of had to, like with football, there's so much team motivation that you that you take when you're playing football. And like that helps so much just going for a run. Just, yeah, just getting your fitness, that type of stuff. Like I, I hate running personally. <laughs> hate it. Uh, so if my team's pushing me to, to to get on come on Anna you got this you know just hearing that in your mm. ear kind of keeps me going keeps me motivated and so not having that is it's been difficult to try and keep fit um during it for sure and I think it's also been fit, difficult to kind of just even play football honestly mm. can't play by yourself and you can't really meet up so it, it makes it really difficult um and then obviously with the second lockdown it um, I spoke on the BBC the other week about how it gets dark by the time I get home from work. So going for a run, like in my local park, is just a no go because it's too dark and it's scary, and mm. I don't know anything is possible. So, mm. so yeah, it's, it's it's just been like I found it difficult in that sense to kind of just keep fit um, and feel comfortable and safe doing it. 
um so yeah i'm glad that things are opening up this week yeah. because i have my first yeah, training buzzing. session on thursday which i'm buzzing yeah. for <laughs> oh. well i, I yeah. can't wait to get back playing football yeah. for god's sake me and cam play on friday but i think we have to go down early to sort our touch out because i went I, I like it was playing around the football the other day in like the middle of lockdown <laughs> and it's like you know when you sort of you feel like I felt like a rugby player playing football. That's how I felt. You know, and you're like your legs are all straight and you can't run. <laughs> bit. And I was like, I can't go back in front of everyone like this because it would just be, it would just be embarrassing. So uh, women's football has has come a long way in recent years. I think you know starting with the not starting with but including the World Cup in 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 2019 and uh, how amazing that was that everything was sort of broadcast nationally and and people really got into it from even people that haven't watched women's football in the past but as a coach and as a player um you know what's what do you think that's been the biggest development in the game recently and what's something you're excited for in the future for the the women's game it definitely has come a long way um it's nice to see obviously i wish i was younger so i could have more time to be a part of it but (laughs) we move (laughs) um but yeah it's been nice to see obviously it's being televised and it's a lot more accessible than it used to be. Um, you know, there's a lot more spectators coming to games and there's more money being generated and more money pumped into the women's side. You know, with a few years ago, they started the Super League, which like is pro women's football now and they're getting paid to play full time, which is amazing. And then they have the league below the championship, which is um, more part time. But But just even having those two leagues now, which were non-existent back when, you know, I was young. So, so just seeing that progression is, is honestly so amazing. And just seeing how the England team are getting better and then more competitive, you know, that they, they're kind of getting results out of like the tournaments they're part of is, is pretty amazing. Um, I think what I want to see, sorry, what I would like to see more of, I think in women's football in the UK is just, I guess, just, girls of colour, I still think that's a big issue. Um, there's not a lot of um, girls that look like me playing football um, and at a high level. And it's like, why, why yeah. not? Because why not? I think, yeah, and it, it's, it's sad because I think there should be more. And I think we have so much to bring, like that different abilities than, you know, other girls and and yeah it's just like where are we because i, I know that we play football yeah, so there. it's like why you're, are we not there. Yeah. playing at that level I, I believe there's so many girls that do deserve so it's just kind of looking at that and kind of figuring out why why not i think mm. as you pointed out to you there it's it's visibility now for a younger generation which is amazing uh, you know it, it's it's in the public eye it's you know you didn't really see it that often when i was younger or uh or you weren't aware of it really uh, and the levels that it sort of got to and the levels of the types of players that are coming to, to England now to play and, you know, look at some of the US national team who obviously, you know, been been dominant in, in women's football coming to the to the WSL, which is just amazing for, for the league and the visibility again of, of just all of the different clubs now really getting into it and seeing it as a as an opportunity not only to, you know, uh, you know, win and, and be, you know, competitive but to make money from it and the branding deals that are coming into it, which will help to grow the sport. I think it's all been sort of really amazing to see. And I think as someone who didn't in the past watch women's football to sort of get into it recently and, and sort of appreciate the game that it is, um, is, has been, has been really great. And I think that, that world cup sort of topped it off really, uh, for, for the growth of the game. Definitely. It was, it was interesting as well. 
in women's football way more than men's football. Like the men's football is almost a those World Cups are sort of just like celebrations, but they're such bigger milestones in the women's game because it's like you can you can use them as markers of like progression as well. And I think like obviously a lot of it's sort of age dependent for us. Like Cam touched on because you're like more aware of it at the last World Cup, but just thinking of the jump of like what I imagine previous World Cups were like to then what it was like in Paris. Um, like, yeah, it was still last year. This year's going on forever. Um, and then, and then thinking what you know what it'll be like in 2023. I think like it is it is all going one way and and yeah hopefully it's like like you touched on Hannah it's like that visibility and that growth is just growth across all aspects of the game and for all people and not just for you know certain countries to really explode in women's football but for that to be for that to be like a truly global thing so Hannah Every guest uh, we have on the pod, we like to play a little game, um, which we call uh, against, the, against the Run of Play. Um, so are you ready to play against the Run of Play? That was a bit of a tongue twister. Was like... that, that was, it really did, it, 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 got, it got me today. Um, okay, so a little bit of history with it. Uh, for each guest we got on the show, we have a very quick fire round uh, where you have to say the first answer that comes into your head at the possible two answers. So um, we're hoping that ITV will pick it up and replace the chase with it. <laughs> That's um, that sounded so. If you're ready, that, it's uh, that sounded so like who wants to be a millionaire then? Out of a possible two answers, maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll replace that. <laughs> um, okay, so it's very quick, very simple, um, and nothing too sinister. So we'll start with uh, Messi or Ronaldo, Nike or Adidas, Nike, Lampard or Gerard, Gerard. 40-yard screamer or tiki-taka team goal? 40-yard screamer. (laughs) (laughs) All day. Uh, If you were a manager, would you be a suit manager or a tracksuit manager? Tracksuit. Jeez. Nike. Would you say Nike tracksuit? (laughs) Nike tech. Come on. (laughs) And the very last one. Would you be a last-minute winner or a 5-0 thrashing? Ooh. Last minute winner. For the glory. Yeah. Get that excitement. Nothing better. Yes. Brilliant. All right. Thanks so much, Hannah, for coming on. Um, that's that's everything. That's all the questions we've got for you. Um, yeah. Thank you for being so open and uh, lovely to talk to you. And yeah, keep an eye out for the pod when it comes out and give us a cheeky follow. And, yeah. Enjoy the rest thank of your evening. Thank you for having me. Um, and I appreciate it. Yeah. I hope you guys have a great week as well. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks. 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 Nice Good to meet you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to episode 13 of the Run of Play podcast. A pleasure to chat to the ever smiling Hannah Baptiste and so inspiring to hear her passion for an aspect of the game that should be spoken about more. As we've mentioned before in previous episodes, please do talk to someone if you feel alone because we promise you, you are not. We're here to listen too if you need us. Please do subscribe also wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a rating on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow us at Run of Play Pod on Twitter and Instagram for more content and to stay informed when a new episode drops. Run of Play will be back very, very soon with another expert guest, so stay tuned.